This is episode 250 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome back to the show, episode 250. Wow, that sounds weird to say. That means we're roughly at five years of this podcast because 52 episodes a year-ish. Uh, it's been fun. And today will not be a disappointment. So I have Syed Latif on the show, and he is a Airbnb arbitrage expert in Chicago, Illinois. He joined me virtually, and uh, we're getting better at these virtual episodes. Uh, really, really great audio setup. And uh, most importantly, uh, he is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we talked in depth about his strategy, why he continues to focus on Chicago, Illinois, and, and why other people are afraid to sort of enter that market. There's a lot of barriers to entry. Uh, Syed is your sort of stereotypical uh, Lamborghini driving Airbnb arbitrage guy, uh, likes his exotic cars. Uh, we went through the numbers and how he's achieving $1 million in uh, net profit on his business annually, but there's massive seasonality that he deals with, uh, which I know something about being in the hospitality business in the Tobermore area. And uh, so he goes through a lot of these challenges. He talked a lot about the challenges that he had through uh, the initial lockdown phase of the uh, the COVID uh, scenario. And then of course, he talked about how it really got good as uh, demand really increased for local tourism. So he went through massive growth, mass massive retraction, adversity. Uh, this was not a, it's all sunshine and rainbows type of episode. This was a cold, hard truth kind of episode. Uh, and yes, he has a profitable business, but he took his knocks in building it. And I thought it was really valuable. A lot of lessons to be learned. So with that being said, if you're enjoying this show, please help me out by sharing it with somebody. And you can also help me out by commenting, liking, subscribing. Um, these are things that just help the algorithm, help the channel to grow. But most importantly, it's you talking about this podcast and telling other people uh, what you think of it. And if you're enjoying it, I, I would really appreciate it if you would share it with somebody. Uh, so with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into episode 250. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Syed Latif on the show to talk about Airbnb arbitrage. Um, thanks for doing this, Syed. Another virtual uh, meeting, but I'm uh, finally starting to get this system nailed down. So I uh, appreciate you being uh, yet another guinea pig for me. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk about my journey. So looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, Syed, just give me high level. Like what, uh, you know, what brought us together today? How'd you get started in, in real estate and Airbnb arbitrage? Uh, take it from the top. Sure. So I'll just kick it off to tell you where I'm at right now in my business. Then I'll start tell you where I started from. So at the moment, I am in the Airbnb rental arbitrage space. I've been doing this for seven years now. I have 300 units under management. And, you know, I've done eight figures of revenue uh, two years in a row now. Wow. Yeah. So that's just to understand where I'm at today. Um, but taking it back seven years ago when I started. So I initially started uh, by purchasing my first multifamily property doing FHA financing. So initially I was all over bigger pockets in the forums, listening to all the podcasts, and I wanted to get the financial freedom. I was working, you know, corporate nine to five. 
And I was trying to figure out how I could replace my nine to five income, get out of the rat race. Um, the typical real estate investor that's starting off, that's kind of where my mindset was at. So after learning a lot and I finally took action and learned about house hacking and purchased my first multifamily property uh, using 5% down FHA financing. And it was a four unit building plus basement. And I lived in one of the units and furnished it really nicely for myself. And after the year was up is when I had all this furniture in a nice unit. And I was like, you know, let me uh, see what opportunities are out there. And I listened to an individual on bigger pockets that was put, listing their unit on Airbnb. So I was like, why not? Let's try it out. So uh, I put it up in February, which is like my slower season month. And, you know, I made market rent for my Airbnb during that month. And then the next month was March. And all of a sudden I made two times rent. And I was like, like, whoa, like what's going on? And then started getting into April, May, and June. I started making three times rent. So that's when like I had like the, you know, light bulb that went off. And I was like, hey, how do I get more of this? So uh, at the same time, all my other units were up for renewal. And I ended up making majority of my building uh, short-term rentals on Airbnb. And every unit that I put on Airbnb made, you know, 3x rent during the summertime. So that's when it was like, oh, like, wow, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I need to go all in on this. And I ended up telling my, you know, corporate 9-to-5 job. I was doing financial analysis at, at a Fortune 500 company. I was like, uh, I want to give my month's notice and I want to do this full-time. Uh, wow. A little, yeah, a little back and forth. Uh, they ended up asking me to stay part-time for the remainder of the year. I said, sure, you know, if I keep my benefits, like, um, that'll be awesome. But at the same time, I was like working on my business during the time uh, I was working part-time anyway. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, the year was up and January 1, 2018 is I was full-time in this. Um, I started my property management business and I, I initially started looking to do the like sh revenue share model where I would find operators that already had short-term rentals mm -hmm. and I would tell them like, okay, you know, we'll take an 80-20 split mm -hmm. uh, plus the cleaning fee. And yeah, that's I launched my business in January so you 1, 2018. Took 20%, you took 20% at that point? Yeah, I took 20% yeah. uh, and they took 80%. And it was just in my market, there was not a lot of management companies doing Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I, you know, just simple Google search showed me like there's only one other company that showed up in SEO. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll create a website, see what happens. Uh, I'll invest like, you know, $1,500 on SEO. All of a sudden, uh, it shot me up to number one and two, uh, depending on the day that you uh, yeah. search, you know, management. And all of a sudden, I started getting all these leads. And I said, like, like this is, like, crazy. This is amazing. You know, like, there's not that much competition. People are in need of the service. Like, this is going to be, you know, amazing. That's so pretty kind of cool. like how I started. Yeah, it's kind of how so I started my journey. I didn't even know SEO still worked. I feel like, <laughs> like, contrived SEO. Like, of course, you can do, like you know, organic, like just content creation and you'll, you'll get there. Right. So you right. just paid some guy to help you, help you appear uh, on the, yeah, on the it, page. It was like, I went to Upwork, you know, I yeah. created a job and, uh, he was talking about this language that was over my head, but I was like, you know, $1,500, I'll, I'll take the risk, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, whatever he did, it got me up to one and two, you know, and that was like the, that gave me some like, you know, credibility. I was getting a lot of like leads by mm -hmm. just people searching on Google. 
And that's when I started getting clients and that's how I started my business. Very cool. And what market did you start in? Like, where was that first purchase? It, my market that I made my first purchase was in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Are you still, uh, are you still active in that state? Yeah, I'm still active in Chicago. Correct. Majority of my portfolio is in Chicago. Oh, okay. Do you, have, yeah. do you have anything out of state or no? So I have small partnerships out of state in other states with other partners, mm -hmm. but majority of my business is out of Chicago. Nice. I know a guy who was doing that down there also in Illinois. I'm not sure if nice. it was specifically Chicago, but probably was. Um, tell me a little bit about why you like that market. Is it just because it's familiar because it's home or is it, uh, is it something more than that? So it's because I'm familiar with it and it's home. That's what I know. It's for me, in my opinion, the best place to invest is in your backyard. Uh, mm -hmm. but fortunately it's been a good market to me. You know, it's, it's a highly regulated market. So there's situations outside that don't allow a huge supply coming in. And uh, because of it being so difficult for people to start the business, it's been a successful market for me. And what are, what are some of the, uh, the barriers to entry for other people trying to do this? So for buildings, four units and less, you need to live in the building to do short-term rentals. So like single family homes, you can't do it. You know, it needs to be a primary residence. So that takes a, little, a lot of those small mom and pop individuals out of there. Um, and you can only have 25% of a building up to six units. So um, then that kind of takes away like the big players uh, that want like, you know, whole entire buildings or entire floors of like, you know, downtown areas where um, the downtown buildings in my market don't want Airbnb. Cause if you only have six units, it just ruins the culture of the building, right? So there's like this middle ground in between like um, small guys, it's difficult. You can't do it unless you live in the building. And for the big guys, they don't want it. So there's like buildings in between, you know, that are like, you know, six units to 25 units that I could take one or two units in that building. Uh, and that's kind of like the regulation in there. And that kind of makes it so a lot of people don't come into my market and, you know, start the business. Uh, at the same time, the permitting process is challenging and difficult. You cannot end up you cannot end up marking it on Airbnb until you get the license. And sometimes it takes one to three months. And then for that, it's like people can't, you know, foot the bill for three months of rental arbitrage without knowing if you're going to get a license or not, you know? So, uh, so you've carved out yeah. your niche there. A lot of people would just not bother because of the bureaucracy. Right. Exactly. And I'll hear people talk about Illinois in general and just say, Hey, there's other States that are you know more investor friendly. Right. Um, however, you're not a regular landlord. I mean, I'm sure obviously doing that, there's a lot more red tape, a lot more, um, a lot more concerns. I don't know if it's anything like where we're from here, but, uh, you know, we have, there are tenants in this province that have been not paying rent for a year and are still in the unit. Right. Right. <laughs> is that, yeah. is that similar in Illinois? Yeah, there's always, there's, it's tenant friendly in my market. Um, mm. and people get tenant rights if they're staying, you know, 32 days plus. Uh, and that's why a little bit of Airbnb is good in the sense that, you know, mm -hmm. you don't get tenant rights. You know, if you want somebody out of your unit after a week or two, mm -hmm. uh, you can, you know, tell them to leave. Sometimes, you know, you kind of force them to leave, you know. Right. Okay. And uh, tell me a little bit about like the overall plan here. Like what, what made you do this? Um, you know, there was obviously a lot of hustle needed to get into 10 figures of, uh, of rental income. Right. So, so your question was, um, the, well, what, what was your motivation to do this? 
So my motivation to do this was I wanted financial freedom. That's my biggest thing. I wanted to not work for a boss. I wanted to be my own boss. Uh, and, you know, I was motivated by money. Uh, I was at my corporate job, you know, making a good salary. But, you know, I would work every year and a half and I would get a promotion, you know, which was great. But it was like, you know, 5 to 10% increase in my salary, which was, you know, um, not significant. It increased my like two-week pay by $100, $200. Or I wait for a year and I get a 3% merit increase, which increases my pay $20 for the, uh, every two weeks. It was like nothing. It was it was small pennies, right? So one, I wanted financial freedom in the sense that I wanted more money, but I also didn't want a boss. And I wanted to be able to do the things I wanted to do on a daily basis. So by trying to get into real estate allowed me to get that financial freedom. For initially, I thought it was going to take me 10 to 15 years to have enough, you know, cash flow to replace my nine to five. But because of the Airbnb opportunity, it happened over like, you know, a handful of months. So it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, I felt like, and I, you know, went all in on it. So the 300 units, did you generate most of those leads yourself? And they're not all arbitrage, right? Several of those are just profit split, like a management contract. Okay. So just to take it back a little bit more. I, initially, I started doing the profit split, which was like, you know, the 80-20 split. Mm -hmm. um, and I was bringing on clients like, you know, small mom and pop clients that had like one unit. And I quickly realized that I did not like that business model at all. And it was a lot of handholding. Uh, the client okay. was never happy with the performance that you provide, regardless of how much extra money they're making doing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this type of business. And it was just like, it took a toll on me. Uh, it was actually, there was one client that made me like hate the business at a point, you know, where, you know, I had 10 units, like when I, you know, quit my job finally, and this client brought me in 20 units. So all of a sudden I went from 10 units to 30 units and, you know, it took me months to onboard her. And finally, when we went live is when it was like, uh, you know, she was super micromanaging, made me feel like her assistant telling me to go pick up this $25 parking fee here. Um, why isn't this person um, I'm happy here? Like, and why aren't you pricing it right? And then all of a sudden she agreed to, ha um, you know, handle some maintenance of the building to get better reviews. And then she said, no, I don't want to spend any more money. So um, it was like a total nightmare of a client. She would be calling me at like midnight, um, like drunk. And she would like start yelling at me on the phone about um, one thing or another. And like, it was, three months in that I was onboarding. And finally, after one month of finally uh, being onboarded and going live, she took the, you know, the units away from me. So mm. I went from one, ten, I went to 10 units to 30 units back to 10 units, like, you know, so quickly. And that literally took a lot of toll on me. I'm like, I just wasted like, you know, hours and hours and hours uh, working on this project. And all of a sudden I, it, nothing came of it. So I went back to the drawing board and I went to this one random networking event in my local market. It was at a bar and there was a group talking and one of the people in the group ended up saying like, Hey, we're looking for people to do Airbnb in our, in our building. And I was like, you know, I never heard that in my life. So anybody saying that. So I was like, you know, I'm interested in like, how do I, how do I do this? And she's like, okay, talk to the property manager and let's see if we can make it happen. So I ended up reaching out to the property manager, no response. Uh, one week later, no response. Finally, I was reaching out every week for like, you know, two, three months. And finally, uh, he said he's on the phone. He's like, oh, we'll see. I'll let you know. Um, maybe come in our office and we could talk about it. 
So then I started coming to the office pretty often. And finally, one day he's like, I'm fed up with me. And he's like, just talk to the boss. He can make the decision today and let you know. So they put me in a room with the boss, with the owner of the, you know, big management company. They had about a thousand units. And at any given time, they had a hundred units vacant. And this guy was like super alpha. He comes in and he just tears me apart. And it's like, listen, I'm not looking to get into the Airbnb business. I'm not looking to get in the furniture business. Uh, I am staying in my business of real estate. I'm sorry, but we cannot do business. Stop bothering us. And at a last ditch effort, I said, like, listen, like you have 100 units. Um, can I lease two units from you and I'll furnish it and I'll put it on Airbnb and I'll take on the risk of the rent. And he was like, OK, you know, if you don't cause me any problems and you pay me rent, then you could do that. And that's when it was like the launch of the rental arbitrage business for me. And that's when I took on my first two units, even before there was a term with the name rental arbitrage. It was back in 2018 when this happened is when I got into the rental arbitrage business. So finally, I get two units, start paying him for two, three months and things are going good. I go back to him. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm doing good in these. Can I have two more? And he said, yeah, you've been paying on time, not causing me issues. Like, go ahead. So then I got two more. A couple months later, I'm like, can I get four more? He's like, yes, you're you're really good to us. Like, take these four units. And then like a couple months later, he comes up to me. He's like, I have this, you know, 10 unit opportunity for you if you're interested. And then again, I get more units, more units. And all of a sudden with this one landlord, I have 35 units with him. Um, and, you know, business is good. All of a sudden, uh, I, you know, I'm in the rental arbitrage space, even before there was such thing as rental arbitrage. Why did he have so many? Uh, because he has 1,500 units. And now I think he has 2,500 units. Across so, different buildings? Like this was just oh, in yeah, his portfolio. He has, yeah, he has a big portfolio. And, mm -hmm. you know, they average a vacancy of, you know, like 6 7%. And there's yeah. units that are in the process of being rehabbed because they do that mm -hmm. like burst strategy, but at a mass level. Right. You know, and right when they get live, like it depends on like the seasonality of like the timing of they go become live. And if somebody's guaranteeing rent right away, like why not? You know, and if they're so not, these aren't these aren't condo buildings, like these are just apartment own, own like single apartment. owner buildings. Yes, correct. Yeah. So he's one of the bigger, bigger operators in my local market. Yeah. Nice. So is he just the manager or also the owner or works for the owner? He's actually an owner as well. So okay. he doesn't, I don't think he has any outside investors. He's one of the most wealthiest guys in real estate in our market. That's a good guy to have on your, uh, on your contact yeah. list. Oh, definitely. Um, so a slight, and, a little bit of luck with a lot of persistence and you got a good contact that you grew with a bunch. That's exactly it is. Um, you know, people say it's lucky or I put myself in the right situation to, you know, get that luck. I was right. Persistent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really no, believe in luck. <laughs> right. I was going to networking yeah. events. I wouldn't yeah. take no for an answer. I was showing up at um, their mm. office. I kept on asking, even after um, getting uh, the answer no, I kept on coming up with different ways. And finally, yeah. I got a yes, right? So yeah. um, call it luck, call it persistence, you know? No, that's that's really interesting. And the people who said they wanted somebody to invent, do RB, Airbnb in, in the building, like where did that come from? Like, why did they want that? Like, what was their motivation to want that? Yeah, I think it's because they had one of their employees asked to do Airbnb in their buildings. So they were intrigued with the model. So it was probably the topic of discussion in their meetings at that time. So they just wanted so, to see somebody try it out. They wanted a guinea pig. Yeah. So initially, and then maybe like by the time I came in, it was like four, five, six months later, maybe they're like, oh, this 
um, they don't like the seasonality. They don't like the uh, people mm -hmm. coming in. Who knows what that person was doing, you know, um, that employee um, that was doing Airbnb in two of their units, you know. Um, yeah. So um, I came in with a different approach and, uh, you know, they agreed to mine. Hi friends, I just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. So tell me a little bit about like what you see as what what are the positives of it obviously beyond the cash flow and then what are some of the hurdles the challenges that you face with with yeah. this model in this market yeah so i've gone through crazy amount of challenges in this market in rental arbitrage because i've gone through you know covid was the biggest challenge you know for me at the time um but the benefits of the rental arbitrage business and why i liked it so much it was because nobody was overseeing what i was doing it was all on me, right? All I had to do is make sure is I pay the rent. They were handling the maintenance side of things. You know, it's just putting the request in their portal and they will handle that issue. But as long as I pay the rent, uh, there's no one complaining to me about the picture frame being off or like, where did this go or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. I just had to make sure I was making enough money. So I was in control of this. Now it was no longer that management type like relationship with an owner, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so th that's the benefit. And also... Uh, as long as you pay the rent, any dollar above the rent is your money, right? Yeah. So, uh, like utilities are included typically, or are you paying the utilities? No, utilities on? are not included. Yeah, so you're, you know, you're always it's paying like a your own. It's, it's, it's a normal landlord tenant relationship. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, um, I pay rent, I pay utilities. Mm -hmm. But the heat, the heat in the building is probably centralized. Are you paying that too? Or so just, it just depends electric? on the building. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, some in my buildings, some of them are really old and it's like heat included. Mm -hmm. And then some of them are like, you know, uh, metered yeah. gas, you know, so it really depends on the building. So give and me an example. They of... add a utility fee. Um, they take the whole oh, they just take uh, heating costs yeah. and then they distribute it to all the tenants yeah. as well. You know, it's like yeah. called like rubs or something like that. Yeah. Like a cost recovery. Yeah. 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 So, so what are you typically paying? Like, give me like a, an average one of your 300 units. Like what, what yeah. rent are you paying? So my type of unit is like a B minus type property b minus some c plus you know um but i'm majority of my units are not like in a buildings in downtown areas and with like luxury or like amenities or anything like that uh for one those are really attractive to long-term tenants so they never have an issue with that uh to get it rented a landlord needs to be like motivated for me to come in or else like why would you want me in there right um i need to provide some type of value uh so Typically, my units are like one to two bedroom units in um, 
decent neighborhoods. You know, some are really nice neighborhoods, and my rent typically ranges from like seventeen hundred to twenty three hundred. Okay, and so these are slightly dated buildings, like they're not so a class. It's really dated. It's really dated buildings with updated units. Updated so units, dated building. Okay. Yes. So like the insides are are like rehab, you know, nice bathrooms and kitchens, but like it's like old walk up buildings mm -hmm. that you know that's how kind of Chicago's architecture and buildings are, you know. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So more incentive for them. Um, as far as, um, like looking at at over time, have you found that this has been easier to get renters on Airbnb, or has it been harder? Uh, in the unit type that I have. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously the nicer the unit it, it, you have, it, you, it's more attractive to an Airbnb guest. Um, and, but that's not the inventory that's offered to me. So I got to work with what I have. As okay. long as I still make the margins that I make to make sure I'm a profitable business. I don't care if I'm a Neiman Marcus versus a Walmart or a McDonald's yeah. versus a steakhouse. Right. So, um, for me, this is the model that I only can do and it works for me. Right. And what do you, so on that, say it's like a, a unit where you're paying $2,000 a month. Like right. there are some of them you're paying 2000, like including utilities. Is that fair or no? Yeah, I'm sure there's, it adds up to that. So. Okay. And then what would you get on average per month across a year? If, if you're paying 2000 a month on yeah. rent? So my market is real seasonal. So all my money is really made in the summertime and the okay. winter time is, uh, I'm actually at big losses. But on average, I'm making like 1.8 to 2.0 times rent in my, as from a revenue okay. perspective. Across the year. Across the year. And yeah. then I have all my expenses associated with my business, which includes like uh, the utilities, internet, supplies, softwares, employees, mm -hmm. cleaners, um, and then runners. And I, so like my margin that I make net income after everything is, has been ranging between 10 to 20% net income margin after all my expenses. But that's because I run a big scaled operation. If you have yeah. small units, it's you doing the work. So that gets added back into your, your, you end up getting maybe 30, 40% worth of like, you know, net income margin. If it was just you with like a handful of units. Okay. So you might have a unit where you're paying all in 2000 a month. You're making 3,600 a month on average. Is that fair? Yep. So on that specific unit, um, you're making in a year, like 40 grand. Does that sound about right? Revenue wise. Yes. Yeah. And Revenue then, wise. I, yeah. And then, yeah. then you're just taking off that. So 24,000 would be your annual rent. So you're getting like 18,700 uh, for, for gross income, but like, it's still a lot of expenses that get tagged onto that. After yeah. All okay. This, so let's walk yeah, through. Yeah, so yeah, you, so your yeah. 24th, so your expenses look like this, $24,000 in, in rent you're paying out. Yeah. Um, and then you might have, well, let's just say utilities are on top. You're going to pay what? 200 bucks a month for the year for is utilities. Sure. Including internet or is there, is there more uh, to so it like that? utilities are going to be $200 a month say, and then internet is going to be another $50 a month. So two fifty. Yeah. So it may be like, you know, $3,000 worth of utilities. Okay. All right. 3000 of utilities. And then are you paying, like you said, runners, you need boots on the ground in these different areas. Yep. Cleaners. So, and cleaners. So yeah. what, what kind of expense are you looking at across the year uh, for that for one unit? So again, it'll be the cleaners. It'll be utilities, internet. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be uh, supplies, any uh, replenishing of supplies. 
in yeah. the unit. So you might spend like yeah. a thousand bucks in a year for all supplies for a unit, or is that even yeah. too much? Yeah, that's a, a reasonable thing yeah. to say. Okay, and, and then, then, and then cleaners, you're paying like what seventy five bucks a, a turnover, a turn. right? Is it something like that? Yep. And and in, in, a, in a, any given month, like how many turns are you doing? So maybe I know it's like, seasonal. So yeah, it's seasonal. So I, just let's do it like basic numbers. Do like give it a ten. We'll give ten. You know, ten per month turns. on average. Yeah. And then yeah. So that's like nine grand right there in sure. cleaning fees. So I've got going back to the top. So thirty six hundred a month on average across the year. Twenty four thousand paid out in taxes or sorry not taxes in rent. Three thousand in utilities. Nine thousand in cleaning. A thousand in um, in uh, your supplies, which leaves uh, sixty two hundred left on the year. So about five hundred a month uh, positive cash flow on that specific unit. If we're using an example, does that sound about that, right? That sounds like almost what I tell people is how much you probably make a month from doing this business model. Um, you yeah. hear a lot of people on social media um, say it's a thousand and or more, but in my practical model, in my type of inventory, yeah, I've been ranging between you know, depending on the year, like. Three hundred to five hundred dollars per unit. Three hundred no, to five hundred per yeah. per month. Yeah, and which I mean, I'll, yeah, three hundred times three hundred. <laughs> yeah, right. That's ninety thousand dollars a month uh, yep. in in positive cash flow. So that's not nothing. Uh, no. So it takes a bit of, a bit of work to set up, of course. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your team? Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell you about my team. Uh, like what I had a month ago and like what I'm, what I have today. So um, I had over about a hundred resources in my business uh, helping me run my business where 50% of them were located out in the Philippines. Um, so I started my business using virtual assistants, but I don't call them virtual assistants anymore. They're like my, uh, you know, my leadership team is all, all in Philippines now too. Uh, so 50 people in Philippines handle all my backend work, which includes the operations, guest communications, checking guests in, uh, helping guests with any issues. And then they handle all the cleaning schedules and handling all the purchasing of the supplies. And then I have my finance team that handles all my like accounts payables. And then they handle all my bookkeeping and my financial reporting and my forecasting and my expense management. Mm -hmm. And then I have my revenue team that handles all my pricing for me. Um, I have a team that onboards units at all times that connects them to all the softwares that I have, um, uploads all the pictures to the Airbnb site, um, mm -hmm. creates the content on the actual um, Airbnb marketing listing. And I also have an HR to handle like, you know, um, performance of how everyone's doing. So, you know, I have an entire organization on the Philippines that were about 50 resources. Um, and then there was 50 resources in my local market but all of them are, you know, labor type jobs, which is basically cleaners, runners, handyman, movers, and unit checkers, and one general mm -hmm. manager that oversees all that. So that's kind of my organization, what it was like a month ago. Um, but uh, I started doing some benchmarking to see like, you know, is this, un this like resource count is correct um, to my peers. And I got connected with some of my colleagues who have similar size businesses than me. And I realized that like I am over hired in my Philippine team and I ended up making some cuts. So I went from 50 to 35 now. 
And I found out the reasons why I ended up doing that. And it was driven by, uh, it was 2022 where I had the COVID pent up demand year. And I was scaling up like crazy style. I was adding units. Um, demand was once in a lifetime demand. And um, I thought I was going to get to this 400 unit counts, you know, by 2023. And I thought I was going to make this like, you know, $17 million of revenue. So I made my dream team. I made my like dream organization out in the Philippines. I started hiring crazy style. I'm like, okay, I want this one person to um, do utilities. And I want this one person to do screening. And I want this one person. I, I started individualizing roles and, um, and ended up not hitting my forecast. The pent up demand was just a one year thing. Um, my demand decreased year over year. And all of a sudden, I'm not getting to 400 units. I'm actually um, releasing some units. And I um, and all of a sudden, my revenue is flat year over year. But I hired as if I was going to have 400 units, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I quickly realized that, like, okay, I cannot sustain this. It's a lot of wastage. Let's cut, you know, uh, a significant amount of people to make it make sense after talking to some of my colleagues that had similar models as me. And now all of a sudden, um, 35 resources out in the Philippines. And my business is still running as is, you know, I haven't had to get into the business at all to like change anything else, you know, so it was actually um, the right move to do. It was a wrong move to hire that much, but I had to make the change now. Who were you talking to? Like, who were your influences that sort of helped you along the way to get to that point? Because I'm sure you didn't start off with an assistant. You're probably doing everything yourself before you so, realized yeah. that you needed to add in help. So it was actually the opposite. Um, immediately when I started the business, it was with virtual assistants. Um, it's because they were so inexpensive and, um, I'm always a guy that always tries to find outside help for everything I do. You know, um, that, that was just like my personality always, like even through college, um, I would just always get outside help to like help me with different things in college, you know? So your assignments, um, <laughs> yeah, basically my essays, right. Um, yeah. it was just like how my personality was like, you know, um, I try to make things easier for me and. You know, fortunately, that skill is a good skill set in entrepreneurship, right? Like, um, it's critical. But yeah, before it was, uh, oh, you know, you're not the smartest guy. You just get shit done from other people. But now all of a sudden, the smartest guy gets the shit done from other people, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I started off the business hiring VAs. I was having my sister help me um, onboard units. Um, I would get it's like she was calling up people and asking them if they would if they were interested. No, no. In... See, that's the only thing that I I do because it's a yeah. relationship based. Um, but she was onboarding units in the sense that she was good at decorating and furniture, so she was okay. like uh, making the units really nice. Um, so, so you need to have so somebody we, like that. Yeah, we were we were handling the, um, we were hiring movers and handymen and cleaners. Like I didn't do any of that stuff. I never did a bed in my life. You know, I never cleaned a bathroom in my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the back end work, I had other people help me with talking to the guests. So I started my business that way and I just continue doing it that way as well. And you, you go through certain reflection points in your business at certain unit counts, like, okay, now I'm at 20 units. How many people do I need at 20 units? And then, then I go through uh, an exercise to find out, okay, now I'm at 50 units, I'm at hundred units. And then I, I make my dream organizations always, you know, sometimes they're, I did it right. Sometimes yeah. I did it wrong, you know, like, um, I was doing it right for a long time and then I got too smart. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this perfect organization. I'm going to do record numbers and no one can stop me. And all of a sudden demand stopped me, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden 
um, you know, I had a bad winter. So all of a sudden my confidence level decreased and I wasn't adding units and I was dealing with cash flow problems and I was, uh, you know, negative in my account for winter, you know, and then, you know, you start not wanting to add a hundred more units to be in a mm-hmm. worse situation, you know? So like things happen, right. And, you know, you have to adjust it with your business when things happen. Yeah. Did you find like so more recently it's it's been harder? Like obviously these aren't huge numbers when we're talking like 500, you know, a month in cash flow when you describe the organization you have. Cuz one VA yeah. you're going to you're going to be paying them what a thousand a month. Right. Uh, thousand something a month. like that. And how yeah. many do you have? You I said mean, 35. You have 35, 35 now. Yeah. Um yeah. so that's $35,000 a month that that right. you got to pay them plus you have direct employees working for you or is everybody a subcontractor? All those other people are contractors and they're yeah. based off usage, right? So um, then you're only paying them as you as you have business. So your thirty five thousand is really the fixed, the administrative right. overhead. It's, yeah, it's a little yeah. more than thirty five thousand because not all of them are getting a thousand a month. Like Some I have of them are more. Um, high yeah. high level leadership there now. You know, I think mm-hmm. uh it was like forty five, fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of- not nothing. So so we were yeah. talking about, you know, you've got like ninety thousand um a month sort of gross profit coming in ish uh, and i'm you know i'm more ballparking so so there's you know there's a good chunk of there's a million dollars there right so yeah million dollars, it, so, yeah. it sounds kind of very very like still profitable even that well what does that work out to be if you're paying like about fifty thousand a month so you're you're basically six hundred thousand on six hundred thousand yeah salaries and then you have some operating yeah. expenses and then of course you have all of your boots on the ground so yep uh so yeah we're you, talking you, big like, big yeah, time you, entrepreneurship you, Oh yeah, like it, it's it's crazy. Like you re-engineered my PL by unit level count to get to exactly what I get on an annual basis. And it kind of it, it tied. So it was like, oh, okay, you know, then whatever I told you is correct, right? Because I always look at it from a holistic yeah. perspective and my, you know, monthly PL. Yeah. But yeah, on an annual basis, um, you know, this year I'm right now at $1.2 million of net income. Um, I just got my October results in. Um, I'm gonna take losses in November, December. Um, so it's going to bring it down back to like a million dollars or a little less. Net than income that. or is that, uh, is that uh, sales? Sales is 10, 10.7. Oh yeah. Sales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, so you're talking then, net income after paying everybody, you're a million. Right. Net income after is like a million dollars take home. Then it's, uh, you, then, okay. But the, the thing is like this, like, um, it's a million dollars, um, net income, but the losses I take from November to, uh, March is going to yeah. be like, I'm forecasting to take losses of $1.5 million in the next uh, months. And right now I have like $1.3 million of reserves. So okay, they, so you it, need the it cash. Com- it comes to a point yeah. and, and, and I just paid $300,000 of prepaid tax um, yeah. to the IRS and my state. So I get in, even though I make a lot of money, I get into a cash flow problem every year. It's the same thing. So like the next five, six months is depressing for me. And then I just yeah. have to go back to make sure I, I, I get to this uh, summer season to make my money all over again. But then if I ended up scaling, uh, adding more units, then I'm yeah. going into the same situation every year. And it's just like, and like my thing is like this, if there's one year that I can't get to my summer season, then I did this all for nothing yeah because it all goes away and that's kind of what happened uh like you know in covid right so um that was my one time where you know march 15th start of spring break i'm like all right you know i i made it out of my slow season i made it out of all the losses at that time um now i'm here time to make money and all of a sudden you know there's an announcement that 
uh, all the flights have stopped. And there's an announcement, Airbnb is refunding all my guests, all their reservations. And all of a sudden I have $500,000 worth of rent coming up in a couple of weeks and I have $0 to my name. So like that Whoa. was that, that year, you know? Dude, that's, you've been through some stuff. So did you have to give, a, give up some units at that time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm um, just tell you, telling you that story. It was that year of 2020, um, March 15th, I had 180 units and maybe three months earlier, I probably had 120 units. So during the winter time is the time that I could scale. Landlords talk to me in winter. They don't talk to me at all in summer. They don't need me at all. Um, they're never motivated for me to do business with them, right? So winter time comes. Again, I think I'm the smartest guy alive. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get outside funding. I'm going to get some debt. I'm going to open 15 credit cards. I'm going to um, add these 60 units. I'm taking losses in the winter months. And all of a sudden, I'm $500,000 of debt losses in the winter and I'm ready to go 180 units spring break summertime I'm gonna make a million dollars this year net income right um and things didn't go to plan you know it hit me like a brick wall and all of a sudden I had to go to the landlords and tell them like listen uh this is really bad for my industry and my business I don't think I could sustain this at all anymore what do you want to do I could give you three options one, let's go into a revenue share, just like what I did, the 80-20 split, but this time it was 50-50 split. Um, let's uh, terminate the leases and I pick up my stuff and leave. Or, you know, you can sue me, but I have nothing, you know, you can't. You, I have nothing mm -hmm. like left, like uh, you can sue me for nothing. So there was, out of the 180 units, there was like 30 of those units from different landlords that told me that listen, we're not COVID charity. We're going to sue you until you have nothing. You know, uh, there was 30 of those units or 40, 50 of those units. The landlord said, just pick up your stuff and leave. And then majority of the units were from two landlords and there were 90 units. And they're like, okay, let's see what happens in the next two months. Let's go on a revenue share, 50-50 split. So that was huge. And then the landlords that said, we're not COVID charity ended up realizing how bad COVID was going to be to like the entire world and entire business, they ended up saying, okay, fine, let's settle, you know, two months rent, you, you take your stuff or we'll keep your stuff, whatever the case is. So I quickly went from, you know, zero to 180 back down to 90, you know, it, it, like overnight, you know, but I was still in business, which was the most yeah. important thing. So, yeah. And then, you know, COVID after seeing what happened like, for the Airbnb space, COVID was not that bad, right? We were cleaner than hotels. Oh, and yeah. And eventually, probably it worked in your favor, as you said, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Significantly. That's why I'm in business today, because I went um, to those landlords. You know, if obviously, if I could go back in time, um, I wish I didn't remove all my stuff from all those 90 units and settle payments mm -hmm. and doing all that. But I didn't know at that time, right? Um, it was in a situation where I had like $5,000 in my account and I had a $500,000 rent payment. So it was just like, I had to make yeah, crazy moves, you know? And at the same time, I had to bring outside funding in to help pay with my, for my debt. Mm -hmm. So I refinanced one of the buildings that I had, you know, I freed up like $120,000 of cash. You know, I paid down yeah. some credit cards. Um, and then the EIDL loan came out uh, 150,000 that paid off. Like I consolidated a bunch of credit cards and my private, you know, lenders and I paid them off. You know, mm -hmm. there was some cash injections 
uh, for me. Like PPP was so low for me because all of my people were contractors. So I only got like 20,000, 25,000 for that, you know? Um, so that's kind of like the story behind that. And then uh, to continue on that story is uh, COVID wasn't that bad. I wasn't having to guarantee rent anymore. Um, I was doing a 50-50 revenue split with landlords and demand was good. Um, things were going go good. But at the same time, there was there was one thing, that, a couple special things that happened. Um, there was a company that went bankrupt. Uh, one of the biggest STR companies at the time. Uh, the name of the company was Stay Alfred. Uh, they had uh, like a thousand units um, all over the country. And I gave them an offer for some of their furniture during their bankruptcy. And the offer was so low because at the time I didn't even need their furniture. You know, like I didn't, there was nothing I could do with it uh, because I didn't even know if I was going to, you know, survive the business. So I was like, you know, hey, I'll give you $200 per unit for your furniture. And then six months go by in COVID and all of a sudden they respond back. Okay, we accept your offer. How many units do you want? So I'm like, okay, now all of a sudden I'm in business. Things are going good. My landlord is coming to me and telling me that he has high vacancy. And now Stay Alfred is telling me that, oh, they're selling me my furniture for $200 per unit. So it was like match made in heaven for these two uh, different things. So I started going all over the country, picking up Stay Alfred furniture for two cents on the dollar and bringing that furniture back to my local market, putting in four different warehouses and then putting it into these units and doing revenue share with them. So all of a sudden I'm going back from 80 units and I'm scaling up back to what I was before and more since then. Right. Um, and it was, it was like, you know, now looking back on it, like most likely if COVID didn't happen, I would still be at this 300 unit count, but I had a different path. It was like up and down. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like, uh, what had happened, but there was a point where my landlord said, we can't do this like revenue share thing anymore. You know, you have to go back to your lease and pay your amount. And if you can't, you got to pick up your stuff. And now all of a sudden you're in 2021 where, you know, um, by springtime, 2021, I think it was, is where, um, they removed all the restrictions, um, for, uh, COVID. And all of a sudden there was um, some pent up demand in 2021. Uh, and my business did record numbers in 2021 from a net income perspective, not revenue, but a net income. And then that was also because I had revenue share in my slow months. So those losses that I take in those months, I didn't have that year because I was doing revenue share. So all of a sudden, then my, uh, my, my 2021 was a record year for me. And now 2022 is when I start seeing the, the crazy losses that I was not expecting. Um, the losses in, in revenue. It, yeah. And even though my revenue is increasing, mm. but like my losses uh, from the winter months were not, uh, were so bad. Um, and this is majority of it, like um, in the first half of the year and then towards the end. So there was, okay. So 2022, there was a lot of pent up demand also. And uh, in 2022, I had record numbers in the summer, but all of a sudden I had record losses in the winter because of the pent up demand, there was like fatigue to travel in my market. Everyone came in the summer, but they didn't need to come anymore. They already came recently, right? So um, I did better than expected in 2022 summer. And then all of a sudden in, in the winter time, I started losing more than I ever thought I would lose. And right. everything I made, I ended up using um, to pay for my winter losses. And that's where it took a toll on me because um, I'm negative by the time like March comes and I'm doing back the same thing that I did last time with putting stuff on credit cards and um, paying rent late by five days 
And, you know, then I went back to my 2023 year, uh, summer, and summer was good, but it was down from the previous year. So all of a sudden, like, like uh, back to my story of hiring too much, thinking that I was going to hit 400, mm -hmm. thinking I was going to hit $17 million. It didn't happen. Right. So I had to make like adjustments to my business. Wow. You've had so, to pivot. But, yeah. Pivot. That's what I'm doing all the time. Yeah. So. I mean, profitable business though. So you're saying cash is all over the place, but but net you're up a million in a year. Yeah, from from an IRS perspective, I'm paying them a lot of taxes. That's <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, so it's, it's so funny that it could be a million in profit, yet there's prepaid taxes. Um, of course, you can always borrow from the bank of IRS by not paying it, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's their interest rate? What's their interest rate right now? You'll see me 10%? in prison, I think. <laughs> Oh, they, yeah. They're okay as long as you file, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I get a lot of letters from the IRS of me doing this thing wrong and that thing wrong, but it's always like a three to $5,000 fine, but the cost to figure it out and reissue the return is probably the same dollar amount. So it's just like, you got to just pay them. It's like the yeah. boss comes and collects a little bit, yeah. you know, here and there extra. It's just, you don't, you don't fight with them. You just pay them their, their, your fines without having to investigate. Yeah, you know what they say. What's the difference between the government and the mafia? The government just got there first. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Cool, man. So uh, how do you see the future looking? You know, with all this, uh, you've, you've faced the adversity. Uh, yeah. you've, you've built a profitable business. What's next? Uh, so honestly, like um, the past years have taken a toll on me in my business. Um, I had dreams of just continuously scaling to something like uh, some crazy unit count, you know, four or 500 units, you know, 20, 20 million of revenue. But the the demand of things happening, like um, the decrease of demand, COVID, regulation changes, lawsuits, and there's just like too much going on. It's been taking a toll on me and um, landlord conflicts I've had, you know, to make me, you know, let go of a significant amount of units. So it's almost like, you know, I kind of like this 300 unit count. Um, I kind of like the landlords I'm working with. I don't want the, you know, 11th landlord be the landlord that, you know, puts me under, you know, and just be with what I currently have. And I was like, okay, you know, um, you know, an eight figure business, $10 million a year of revenue, a million dollars net income, uh, give and take like, you know, 10, 15%, whatever, um, how good the year is. Um, it's a good lifestyle for me. And I, the stress has taken a toll on me a little bit. So it's kind of where I want to keep my business for now, mm -hmm. but that's today. You know, <laughs> I always change it. Ask me in three months from now, and I might have gotten an opportunity of 30, 40 units. And I'll be like, Hey, you know, I want to do five. Like, you know, my motivations yeah. changes, my, my personality changes. Um, you know, it, if I'm able to park money away, and my, my family will be settled um, for a, a good lifestyle, then it's like, okay, you know, what if I shoot for the stars? Uh, so that's that for the business. But recently I started seeing the value of a personal brand. Um, so I started creating my personal brand and that's kind of why I'm doing podcasts now or else I wouldn't even be doing this. I, I didn't do it for five years, you know. Um, I didn't care to do it because all I cared would put, put my head down and grow my business. But, you know, it, it'll be nice to have something to fall back on if so, say I never get to that summer season and all of a sudden my cash flows are gone, can I still figure out a way to make money? You know, and I think by a personal brand, it would be a good way mm -hmm. to be able to come up with different revenue streams. So I made yeah. a personal brand. Yeah. 
so no no direct monetization plan for for the appearances and going getting your name out there it's more just see where it takes you yeah so initially it was because some of my colleagues at, started this like course business and coaching and mentoring and masterminds mm -hmm. and showing me the type of opportunities there are doing that and mm -hmm. it kind of goes hand in hand like you know you basically just record your current business and that you know, can end up selling you, you know, coaching opportunities. So it, it kind of worked out that way. And honestly, um, like it's a, a, it's like a cool lifestyle. Like I started getting like in my other business, like, um, you know, when they say you want to, um, just work on the business, you don't want to work in the business. It's, it, I started getting to a point where, you know, my work week was like two hours a week. And, um, it sounds like, oh, that's a perfect dream. But then you start, you start you start getting bored a little bit you want to do things and i i didn't have like a a good schedule to you know keep me productive and mm -hmm. then now this personal brand is making me like work again all of a sudden you know uh you have to appear for these podcasts speaking engagement <laughs> you gotta travel here you gotta um you gotta look good you know you gotta get your hair cut you gotta um you know work out like these are like positive things in my life it's good it's a good thing for my lifestyle uh i'm meeting people on social media in different countries like dubai and you know pakistan and you know it's it's been kind of like interesting to see like what this has doing for me you know yeah, well, it's uh, I appreciate you doing it. Uh, yeah, been getting some interesting guests lately, and you're definitely one of them. And uh, it's a great story. And uh, you know, you didn't come on here and say everything's everything's roses. <laughs> you you know, you you told the cold hard truth, and and I like it. And uh, yeah, man, like so, would you do anything different, knowing what you know now? Like I know, obviously, there's probably a million little things. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout my thing, like. You know, I told you examples, like if I knew like what COVID was going to be, mm -hmm. I'd probably have kept all those units. You had a double down. And then yeah. uh, the Stay Alfred opportunity that I had at the time, um, I ended up buying 150 apartments with the furniture. Um, but I wish I bought 500 apartments with the furniture. <laughs> you know, I started saying no to deals because you I could have started selling. Yeah. You yeah. could have just started listing it on Marketplace. Right. right. <laughs> I thought of different, op just in case, because yeah. it was like, just like, it was a gamble, right? So yeah. I'm like, okay, how can I, what's my, like, uh, like hedge on it? Like, okay, yeah, I can sell it at Marketplace. Not that I want to ever do something like that, but um, yeah, I wish I bought way more. And mm -hmm. there's always certain things that I wish I did. All right. I wish I knew there was going to be lower demand in 2023 than 2022. And, I, but like, you can't predict, right? So all you could do is with the knowledge, you know, with you making some gambles yeah. and risks, like you change a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you weather the storm for the next fight and the next fight and it's sure. going on forever, you know? What do you, uh, like million in profit, obviously a lot of that is, you know, cash buffer for you, I'm sure. But what yeah. do you, what are your other investment goals or activities like are you putting some of this into long-term rentals yeah. or other real estate yeah so that was always my initial goal um i purchased three buildings maybe th four years ago um when i kind of started this business and i was uh, making money and i was buying uh real estate and i was like okay you know by three more years maybe i could buy three buildings a year you know with the seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of um free cash you know um you know 25% down for each building. Yeah, I could get a couple million dollar buildings every year. But like things happen, right? COVID happens, cash flow problems happen. Um, things happen, interest rate increase has happened. Um, mm -hmm. I started saying, like, okay, you know, um, you know, if I want to buy four buildings right now, 
Uh, I should get my real estate license so I could put offers that I want to put on. And as I was trying to figure out how to get my license, every month the rates started increasing, prices started increasing. So I'd have been in a better position um, to like not have gotten my license and pay the damn commissions and, you know, um, bought the buildings. But also at the same time, if I did buy the buildings, I would have to liquidate all those buildings because of my cash flow problems that I had. So thank God I didn't buy those buildings or else I'd have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, been in a weird situation um, then. Yeah. So, um, so now I have three buildings and two homes that yeah. I made for my business. And then above and beyond that, um, I splurge on cars. So that's where um, I spend a lot of money on cars. I, I drive um, a couple of exotic cars that makes me feel good. You know, I like, I like them. It makes, it makes me happy. Um, but I look at as those exotic cars as investments as well. Mm -hmm. say tomorrow I need cash. It's easier for me to sell my car to a dealership than it is to sell a property. Right. Um, tomorrow I could liquidate my, uh, you know, my Lambo and I bought it for 270. I might get 260 for it. 255. You buy right? new or was it? Uh... Uh, I never buy new. Oh, it's always, it? Yeah. That's yeah. better. Yeah. Especially with yeah. those kind of cars. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I have a handful of cars and those cars I could liquidate tomorrow if I need cash. And that's kind of what I like about them. And also, you know, um, I had these cars before I started my personal brand. And now that I have my personal brand, it's easier to show yeah. like your reputation by, you know, the guy on Instagram with like the nice cars, you know, you see them everywhere. You kind of have to, and then you just need to start offering coaching and you're the guy who does RB, Airbnb arbitrage, drives a Lambo, yeah. does the coaching. That's kind of like those the, guys. the standard those guys. real estate pitch. Yeah. Uh, another yeah, one of my friends, they got, they have one, a Lambo and they do coaching on arbitrage. Yeah. Uh, who, 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 who's that? Uh, Karsten Howe. He's been on, he's been on my show. If you want to look up okay. the, uh, the episode, he's all yeah. over the U S so he'll, he'll go into every different market. He's invested in, uh, five different cities. Last time I talked to him in the U S that he's never been to, which yeah. I find is hilarious. So he yeah. negotiates it all over the phone. Uh, so you guys have a different approach, but, uh, yeah, I like your backyard investing approach. Um, I, there's definitely some merit to that. And then, you know, there's people who will say the opposite and do that. And that works for them too. And that's all cool. Right. Um, so Ed, where do people reach you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram yeah. at Syed BNB, so S Y E D B N B, yeah. uh, my handles at the bottom. Perfect. And yeah, on my Instagram, I talk about my day problems. I go through, um, show you the luxury lifestyle of an Airbnb operator. Um, you see everything on there. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was great getting to know you and I uh, hope we could stay in touch. Sounds good. Nice meeting you. All right. Thanks a lot. Infinite banking in under 60 seconds. We've all got to save our money somewhere and we think that a high cash value life insurance policy is the perfect place to save it. Why? We're going to save our money inside this policy and it's going to grow tax-free. Down the road, we're going to get hit with an emergency or an opportunity, maybe a chance to buy a business, real estate property, an income-producing asset, and instead of withdrawing from our savings account, we're going to leverage that asset. We're going to borrow the insurance company's money, and we're going to invest in that opportunity. Our money is still inside of that policy, compounding, uninterrupted, tax-free, and our money's outside in this investment opportunity. We're going to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, all while providing a death benefit for our families. Down the road, we're going to retire now we retire with a high cash value life insurance policy with a lot of cash. We're going to start taking those policy loans again, but this time we're never going to pay them back. When I say never, I mean we're going to pay them back with the death benefit when we die, and our families are going to get left with the rest completely tax-free.